Welcome back, everyone, to the NARP Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Derek Logan. We've got a great show for you today. We're recapping week one in the NFL. I'm going to start out with some injury news and notes because, unfortunately, people do get hurt in football, and that is the case in week one. Then we're going to follow that up to talk about some refrigerator-worthy performances. And followed by that is going to be our not-so-great performances, which is going to be a segment I call, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. And then at the very end, we're going to talk about some waiver wire ads that you'll want to take a look at. Those are players that are owned in 50% or less of leagues. So guys that had a good good week this week that you might want to consider adding in your league, depending on how deep your rosters are. Now, before I get into the injury news, I do want to give the caveat that I am recording this towards the end of the Steelers-Giants game. So any injuries that happen in the Titans and the Broncos game, I will not have information on. However, it is the the Steelers game wrapping up right now, so I do have some notes from that game. But I wanted to put it out there that the big performances, the bad performances, will not include that last game on Monday night. It will only include up to that point. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk about week one. So some of the injuries that happened on Sunday – include guys like Marlon Mack from the Colts. Unfortunately, he tore his Achilles tendon, which means he's going to be out for the year. What that means for fantasy, though, is that that's a big boost for Jonathan Taylor. He's a rookie coming in who had a lot lot of hype around him. People drafted him earlier than necessarily he would be playing right away. Uh, But it paid off because Marlon Mack, unfortunately for him, is out for the year. And now that's Jonathan Taylor's backfield. So if for some reason Jonathan Taylor is not on a roster in your league, you're going to want to add him right away. And that's also going to be a bump for Naheem Hines on the other side of things at the running back position. Another injury that we saw for the New York Jets was Le'Veon Bell. He hurt his hamstring and had to leave the game. But when it comes down to the impact on fantasy, the Jets offense is so terrible that it probably isn't a huge bump for Frank Gore or even Josh Adams because the the Jets are just a mess and any running back is going to struggle in that backfield. Le'Veon Bell is an incredibly talented running back and even he is terrible for fantasy on the Jets. So I wouldn't run out and grab Frank Gore or Josh Adams. I would wait to see what happens with that situation. Another injury we saw at the wide receiver position was Michael Thomas for the New Orleans Saints. He was already struggling throughout the game to put up any kind of statistics. And unfortunately, towards the end of the game, Michael Thomas picked up a high ankle sprain. He has expressed a desire to play through that injury, so we'll see how how he's limited by that injury uh, moving forward. Hopefully he can play through it because obviously he was drafted as the number one wide receiver in the league, and those who picked him early are going to want him on the field and producing at that high level. Next on the injury front is Deshaun Jackson for the Philadelphia Eagles. There was speculation that he was hurt. Turns out he was not. His snaps were just being limited to keep him healthy. He went on Twitter after the game and said that he was fine. However, he only played 37 snaps, which was not not a lot. And uh, apparently there's a report that came out today from Doug Peterson, the coach, saying that his snaps will increase as the weeks go on as they reacclimate him to football action. Another injury at the wide receiver position is Devontae Parker for the Miami Dolphins. He left with a hamstring injury. Before that, he hadn't put up, put up much production, but uh, that injury is something to monitor. He came into the season with a very peculiar undisclosed injury turns out it was probably a hamstring he might have re-aggravated that in the game leading to his absence towards the end of the game next on the injury is Henry Ruggs left the game at some point for the Raiders he's the rookie Uh, he did come back we'll have to monitor his situation throughout the week to see if he's banged up or if he did pick up a defined injury other injuries of note Uh, Our Boston Scott, he left the game with an unknown injury for the Eagles, did not return, went to the locker room, 
that really put a put a uh, a dent in the Eagles' backfield uh, depth because he was one of only two running backs active for the game. Corey Clement had to come in and play the rest of the game, and he was ineffective. And uh, we'll see how Boston Scott recovers for next week, which leads me to Miles Sanders, the starter for the Eagles, was out week one. You want to monitor his status. Those who drafted him probably drafted him early, and you're going to want him on the field. However, you also want him healthy, so you have to wait to see how his hamstring injury is progressing throughout this week and see if he's going to be playing. Finally, a couple more of note, Blake Jarwin and David Njoku, two tight ends, Jarwin for the Cowboys and Njoku for the Browns. Jarwin's out for the year with a torn ACL, and Njoku was placed on IR with a knee injury. So what that means for fantasy is you might see a bump in Dalton Schultz's action for the Cowboys. I wouldn't run out and grab him. There's plenty of other guys on the waivers that have a more defined role and a history of production. Uh, David Njoku, his injury means better prospects for Austin Hooper, who was pretty disappointing in week one for the Browns. But then again, so was the whole Browns team. Uh, so last injury I want to mention is James Conner did pick up an injury in week one on Monday night. He left uh, the game with uh, what's being called an ankle injury. You're going to want to see what happens and what they diagnose him with uh, throughout the week. And if that's the case that James Conner is going to miss time, Benny Snell seems like a legitimate option in the backfield for that team. He rushed for over 100 yards after James Conner went out. So if Benny Snell is on your waivers, he's going to be up there in terms of guys that you want to target. All right, so that covers the injuries this week. And now I want to get into the first time ever segment, refrigerator-worthy performances. What that means is breakouts on the week, top performers. I call it refrigerator-worthy because I'm a dad, and if my kid is going to make something excellent, it's going to go in the refrigerator, and these performances this week are what I would consider refrigerator worthy. Now the first one on my list at the quarterback position, uh, we want to talk about Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. They played about as expected. They were projected for high numbers. They gave you high numbers. So I won't go into it too much about those guys because they balled out to the level that they were expected. But the first guy that I want to talk about that surprised some people is Josh Allen. He had 312 passing yards, two touchdowns, added 57 yards on the ground, plus a rushing touchdown. He led the team in rushing yards and attempts rushing. Uh, he did lose two fumbles, but the early connection with Stefan Diggs is clearly there. That addition is putting him in the realm of top quarterbacks at fantasy so far in one week. Uh, he was a great fantasy quarterback last season. He was six overall at the QB position. However, people must have soured on him because he was going in drafts at QB 11, which is almost at the end of the top 12, which is the, the your QB 1 range. So people weren't really valuing him as a top 10 quarterback in drafts, despite being one last year. And he put some of those doubts to rest this week by putting up huge numbers against a hapless Jets team. But points are points. You can only play the team that you're playing, and he he put up numbers against the Jets this week. Next, refrigerator-worthy performance goes to Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers. He put up 364 yards, four touchdowns. No weapons, no problem for Aaron Rodgers. There was a big, big commotion about the Packers not drafting any wide receivers in the draft. They only had Devonta Adams, and we're going to rely on two guys who are relatively unproven in Alan Lazard and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. However, those guys also put up huge numbers along with Devonta Adams and had a huge day through the air for Aaron Rodgers. He was drafted at quarterback 10. There were some doubts about him this year, and I think he will be volatile week to week. When he plays bad teams, he's going to ball out. When he plays good teams, he might struggle. But this week was one of those weeks where he balled out. And if you had Aaron Rodgers in your lineup, you've got to be excited about the prospects for this year so far. Uh, I will mention as far as his projection, 
He scored 14 and a half points more than his ESPN projection, which was just about the best quarterback performance in terms of beating his projection on the week. Mm-hmm. Next on my refrigerator worthy performances, I have Mitchell Trubisky. Ooh, good old Mitchell Trubisky. No one drafted him basically in drafts. He's 2.7% owned in ESPN leagues. However, he threw for 242 yards, three touchdowns, added 26 yards on the ground. And I will note, though, he was terrible until the last 15 minutes when he threw for, I believe, all his touchdowns and brought the Bears back from the grasp of defeat and stole that win from the Detroit Lions. And uh, another fun note on Mitch Trubisky, after putting up over 24 points in four-point touchdown scoring, Mitch, his, his ADP was below Colin Kaepernick. So in drafts this season on ESPN leagues, people were drafting Colin Kaepernick before Mitchell Trubisky, which is honestly quite comical considering he put up big numbers against the Lions. I would say... You could add him this week. He has a pretty plus matchup against the Giants in week two, but I wouldn't get too crazy. I think this is a little bit of a flash in the pan, deceptive good performance by Mitch Trubisky. I think he'll be on a short leash. If he starts playing really poorly, you'll see Nick Foles out there. But in the meantime, Trubisky balled out. A bonus refrigerator-worthy performance at the QB position for me is Gardner Minshew. I had a lot of love for Gardner during draft season. I wanted him on all my teams. I almost got him on all my teams. However, a couple other people in my leagues must have thought highly of him too and stole him from under my nose. Gardner Minshew went 19 of 20 for 173 yards. Not a large number of yards. However, he only threw one incompletion, which is very impressive considering he threw three touchdowns, which means he had three times more touchdowns than incompletions, which is a crazy stat. He added 19 yards rushing, and I think that's going to be the floor for him every week. I believe he'll rush for a lot more any given week as he gets pressured and escapes the pocket and scrambles for some yardage. And uh, going into uh, Sunday, Minshew is projected to be the quarterback 22 in ESPN projections, which is spearheaded by ESPN's Mike Clay. And going into the Monday game, he's at QB 10, so he's going to clearly outperform that projection on the week. At the running back position, our refrigerator-worthy performances, of course, include McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook. They all had over 20 points, but that's as expected. So I'm not going to get too excited. That's like uh, a 10-year-old drawing a stick figure. I'm going to get less excited about that than I am about my two-year-old drawing stick figures and coloring the lines. So we're not going to get too excited about CMC and Zeke and Alvin Kamara and Dalvin, but I am excited about Josh Jacobs' performance. 93 yards on the ground, three touchdowns, four for 46 receiving. That receiving number for me is the biggest thing because the big question going into this year was whether he would get the targets that he deserved out of the backfield. And so far, so good. 8.6 PPR points from receiving alone is a great little addition to the 93 and three touchdowns that he did on the ground. He dominated. He's living up to that early hype. And again, he got that passing volume, which was that big question as they signed guys like Theo Riddick, and re-signed Jalen Richard and added Lynn Bowden in the draft. They have since cut Riddick. They traded Bowden, and so now he has less competition for catches, and that is great for his fantasy prospects. The next refrigerator-worthy performance at running back is Naheem Hines. Who would have thought going into week one that we would be talking about Naheem Hines with all that Jonathan Taylor buzz? He had 28 yards rushing, which isn't a big deal, but he added a touchdown on the ground, and then he went 8 for 45 receiving and another touchdown. So two touchdowns and, uh, let's see, 73 yards total offense for Hines. 
Frank Reich, look, when we're going into the season, Frank Reich, the coach of the Colts, said Naheem Hines is going to be on the field catching passes, and he lived up to that so far. He had those eight receptions, and Marlon Mack got hurt, which like further solidifies Hines' value and role in that offense. And then the last thing I'll add is Phillip Rivers loves to dump off to his running backs, a la Austin Eckler from the last couple of years. So I think that this is a sustainable rate, as I stutter, sustainable, sustainable rate of, of receptions for Hines each week. Maybe not eight, but he's going to have a floor similar to James White each and every week where he's going to catch passes. His yards might be low, but he'll be there in the stats column. The next two I'll throw out there for refrigerator-worthy performances are Malcolm Brown and Raheem Mostert. Malcolm Brown seemingly has captured the starting role in the Rams' offense. He had 79 yards, two touchdowns, three for 31 receiving, and he was the best-looking Rams running back on the field, better than Cam Akers, the rookie. We'll see as the season progresses whether Akers starts to cut into that role, but so far Malcolm Brown is a value out of the Rams' running back. Uh, core. Lastly, Raheem Moster, as I mentioned, he had 56 yards rushing, but where he did most of his damage was four for 95 receiving and one touchdown. That's really unexpected to me because he was supposed to be a ground and pound running back, whereas Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon would handle more of the receiving role. Uh, and looking into that more, though, he did have a really long touchdown out of the backfield on a pass. So I wouldn't read too much into that volume at receiving, but a touchdown's a touchdown and points are points, and he earned it. And for that, Raheem Mostert had a refrigerator-worthy performance this week. Moving on to the wide receiver performances that are refrigerator-worthy in week one, let's start out by saying that Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, and Julio Jones, all for refrigerator-worthy performances, but like I said before, they were expected to do well. Adams did obliterate anyone in fantasy this season. I mean, well, this week. Uh, however, he was expected to ball out, so I won't go into detail on him too much. So without further, further ado, my first refrigerator-worthy performance at wide receiver is Calvin Ridley of the Atlanta Falcons. He went 9 for 130 yards, two touchdowns. Both TDs were in the fourth quarter, playing from behind in garbage time. However, however, points still count. So whether it's in garbage time or the first five seconds of the game, those points still count. If, if you were playing Calvin Ridley, it's a lot more frustrating when he gets a garbage time touchdown with 33 seconds left in a game that's already decided. But for those Ridley owners, you got to be excited about it because he scored a touchdown with 33 seconds in a game that was over, and you got the points. So Calvin Ridley with the first refrigerator-worthy performance on week one. The second one, Adam Thielen. I will admit I didn't have much love for Adam Thielen coming into the season. I had him ranked pretty low. However, he did play really well in week one, six for 110, two touchdowns. It was his first game without Stephon Diggs on the team. He has played games without him before as the injuries happen, but first game where Adam Thielen is the bona fide number one receiver for Minnesota uh, and has, has Ridley scored the two touchdowns in the fourth. Thielen's touchdowns were also in the fourth quarter, but once again, the points are points. They still count. So if you're playing Thielen and he had nothing until the fourth, you were excited and then all of a sudden he goes off for two touchdowns. Uh, I do think that in a better game script where the game is closer, they were playing from behind a lot. They're going to be running the ball a lot more. I saw a stat today that in neutral game scripts, Minnesota ran the ball the most. However, I think that's skewed a bit considering I don't think they were in neutral game scripts that much. And by neutral game scripts, I mean not too far behind where they can use their, their game plan and not have to just throw because they're behind, which is what ended up happening. The next refrigerator-worthy performance is Robbie Anderson, the new Carolina Panther, newly minted six for 115 yards. And when I say six, I mean six receptions, 115 yards, one touchdown. Uh, his first game in Carolina with Teddy Bridgewater, 
previously of the New York Jets. He had only one fewer target than DJ Moore, who didn't do as much with his targets. Uh, I will add, though, that he had a 75-yard touchdown, which made up a big bulk of his yards. Uh, 75 out of 115 was on one catch. But I'll just beat a dead horse and say the points still count. He still had a 75-yard touchdown, which means he gets to have those points. And so it might be an anomaly, but the anomaly happened this week, and we'll see if it happens again next week. Uh, last, uh, Last two that I'll go over, Jamison Crowder, seven receptions, 115 yards, one touchdown. The surprising things for Crowder this week is that he had a 69-yard touchdown. Usually he's a volume-based PPR machine. You'll get a lot of catches, not too many yards. You might see a line like seven receptions for 60 yards. In this one, he had a 69-yard touchdown, which boosted him over 100 yards. Uh, Volume is king, as you might say in fantasy football. And Jameson Crowder, by all indications, is going to have volume all season. Seven receptions is not too shabby week to week. That's something you'll look to see him have each week. Uh, And with those injuries for the Jets wide receivers, he's going to continue getting fed by Sam Darnold. Whether getting fed by Sam Darnold is a good thing is a different uh, debate because he's been relatively poor at quarterback. But, I mean, if he gets passes, he gets passes, and Jameson Crowder had a great week. The last one I'll throw in as a bonus, I did see Juju Smith-Schuster go off tonight, two touchdowns, over 60 yards receiving. So big night and bounce back uh, for Juju after a down year with that quarterback injury last year. He's excited to have Big Ben back. I saw his his touchdown celebrations were pretty funny. He was He was excited. He was happy. He was having fun. And you like to see that for Juju. Now moving on to the tight end position. I've got a couple of refrigerator-worthy performances at tight end. I'll go over real quickly because there weren't many exciting ones. Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey had good games at the position, which is to be expected. The two ones that stand out to me were number one, Dallas Goddard. He was the number one tight end on the week thus far with one game remaining. He had eight receptions, 101 yards, and a touchdown. He had two more targets than Zach Ertz, who is considered the number one tight end in that offense. And uh, the thing to keep an eye on is that Zach Ertz is in a bit of a contract extension dispute with the Eagles. So is that just causing distraction? Who knows? But in the meantime, Dallas Goddard went off in week one. It was a go-to for Carson Wentz, and we'll see if he can translate that performance into another big one in week two. The other one that I want to talk about is TJ Hawkinson. Don't get too excited about him considering he had a great week one last season and then fell off, but we'll see if he can be more consistent this year. He had five receptions for 56 yards and one touchdown. People were calling for a breakout this year among many other tight ends. He was drafted relatively low still, uh, maybe as a tight end two or backup, hoping he'll break out. So far, so good. He said he's 100% healthy coming into the season. And I will note that Kenny Galladay, the number one receiver for the Lions, was out this week. So when he returns, Hawkinson's volume might go down. So something to keep an eye on. Moving on to the inaugural segment of I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. Now, this is something that you might have heard your parents say to you and uh, something that I'm going to try to avoid saying to my kids, but I think it's something everyone can relate to, that when you're told that it's n- you're not mad, they're disappointed, it's even worse than them being mad. So this is where I'm going to go over those performances that were truly disappointing if you had these guys in your lineup. At quarterback, Jared Goff leads the way with people I'm not mad at, but I'm disappointed. He had 275 passing yards, which is okay, but he had zero touchdowns and one interception. That is a lackluster performance at the quarterback position and not something that you want to have in your lineup. He needs TDs to be relevant. He's got no rushing upside. And so when he finishes a game with zero touchdowns and an interception, it's not going to be a good game for fantasy for Jared Goff. Next, 
in performances. This one hits close to home. As an Eagles fan, Carson Wentz, he started out so well. He threw two early touchdowns in the first half. They took a 17-0 lead. You think that they're on the way to a route, and then Carson Wentz just crumbled. He finished the game with 270 yards passing, two touchdowns to go along with two interceptions, one fumble lost. And like I said, he got off to a hot start, but then that that intense pressure from the Washington football team's uh, front line of defense got to him. They sacked him eight times, which is unprecedented. He held on to the ball for too long. He made some some bad throws. His offensive line was depleted. Three out of the five uh, early season starters were out, two on IR, one out for the game in Lane Johnson. And so that was a makeshift O-line. And he just he didn't get the ball out fast enough and ended up losing that game pretty much single-handedly with the assistance of the poor offensive line. The next guy I want to point out that I'm not mad at but disappointed is Drew Brees. The ageless wonder, Drew Brees, along with Tom Brady. Tom Brady and Drew Brees faced off the over 40 crowd quarterbacks. Drew Brees only had 160 yards passing. He had two touchdowns, but that's a disappointing yardage total if you got Drew Brees as your starter. Most likely you picked him relatively late as a, as you think a steal at quarterback, but he did not perform. He wasn't able to get Michael Thomas going, who we'll talk about later on in the show. And that is just disappointing all all around all around. The last two guys that you you probably didn't start, or I hope you didn't start, uh, Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield both had poor games, and that's being kind. Tyrod had 208 passing yards, no touchdowns, and where you thought you would get value from Tyrod Taylor is his rushing ability, which just wasn't there. He had six rushing attempts and only seven yards. He was reliant on the rushing floor when he was a starter in Buffalo, and he just didn't have it in week one against the the Cincinnati Bengals, who were the worst team in the league last year. So if he can't do that against a bad team, what is he going to do against a good team? And lastly, Baker Mayfield, 189 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception. There was some hope that he would bounce back to rookie form. That did not happen. He looked pretty bad. He was missing Odell on basically every throw he made. And it's not evident that he's going to bounce back. It was the Ravens, so maybe it was just a blip on the radar and he's going to be better against lesser competition. But I am just disappointed in Baker Mayfield. Moving on to the running back position, the guy I'm most disappointed in has got to be Nick Chubb for the Browns. Along the lines of Baker Mayfield, the Browns just look terrible. They got crushed by the Ravens, as expected, but you'd think they would put up some fight, which they did not. Nick Chubb had 60 yards rushing on 10 attempts, one reception for six yards, and he fumbled, which led to a very poor output in fantasy, considering a lot of people probably picked him to be their number one running back, or at the very least, their number two. And he played like number two, honestly. Uh, He was out-targeted 6-1 to by Kareem Hunt. He got out uh, carried by Kareem Hunt, thirteen to ten. That negative game script where they're losing so so badly for most of the day means that he should get more rushing opportunities, especially more than ten, which he got yesterday. Uh, but if they're losing, then he's not going to get the carries, and it's going to be a disappointing year for Nick Chubb. Next disappointing guy, Austin Eckler. He got rushing yards. He was 19 for 84, which isn't a bad bad efficiency metric. However, he only had one reception for three yards on one target. You wanted him to get at least probably five receptions in that game. That's where his floor is. That's where his ceiling is in that rushing work. But he just didn't get it. He lost goal line work to rookie Joshua Kelly, and he's unlikely to get that goal line work moving forward. So his ceiling is capped off by his inability to get rushing touchdowns, and he'll continue to rely on passing work. Next guy that I'm disappointed with is Joe Mixon. 19 rushes for 69 yards, which is pretty poor efficiency. He had one reception for two yards on two targets, and he fumbled. 
He just couldn't get it going. They supposedly improved that offensive line in Cincinnati, but the jury's still out on that. Uh, they were playing a decent defense in the Los Angeles Chargers. However, they're missing their best player in Derwin James, and they're a little bit banged up. So I, I don't make too many excuses for Joe Mixon, even though he got plenty of touches. Next on the list uh, is Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell was an enigma during draft season. People wanted Le'Veon to return to excellent form he was in Pittsburgh, which uh, he has not been in New York, which is carried over to this season. He had six rushes for 14 yards, two receptions for 32 yards, and then he got hurt. Uh, Adam Gase, the coach, is saying it's a hamstring inj injury that he might be out for a few weeks which is just bad news all around for a guy that you picked as probably your RB2 or RB3. If you went late on running backs and went uh, wide receiver heavy, if he's your number one, you're in trouble. The offense just is bad in New York for the Jets, and it's not good enough to maintain a running back that's relevant, even if they're talented, which Le'Veon Bell is. Next on the list are a couple people that didn't have high expectations, but nonetheless were still disappointing. Antonio Gibson, rookie for the Washington football team, nine rushes, 36 yards, two for eight receiving. There was big buzz surrounding him. Following the release of Adrian Peterson especially, uh, they thought that uh, he had clear work, which he did to an extent. However, Peyton Barber, the veteran, stole two touchdowns late. Uh, he was out-touched by Barber 17-11. to 11. But I do think better days are ahead if you're an Antonio Gibson owner. I would not drop him. The Eagles' run defense is historically good, and therefore he should bounce back when he's playing a less stout defense. Mark Ingram is the next guy I'm disappointed with. 10 rushes, 29 yards is brutal from a guy that you saw has had good stats every year the past few years. He's perennial under, perennially undervalued. But not in this one. He had no receptions, no touchdowns. J.K. Dobbins, the rookie, got two touchdowns. And uh, Ingram, in what should have been a positive game script game, which means they were winning, they should have been rushing the ball. He only had 10 carries. And I'm concerned for his role moving forward. If he's going to lose that goal line work to J.K. Dobbins and be inefficient, then Ingram owners are going to be in trouble, especially if he also doesn't get any receptions, which is what boosted his numbers last year with those receiving touchdowns. I will say Dobbins wasn't very efficient either. He only had 22 yards and seven rushes. So don't get too caught up in the inefficiency. They were all inefficient, but I am worried about his role moving forward. Last couple guys, Chris Thompson. People got excited about him. I, for one, was also excited about his passing game work. However, he had two receptions for six yards, and they gave him zero carries. So you thought at least he would have like three or four, but he got zero, zilch, nada. James Robinson had 100% of the team's carries and looked decent. So I don't really see a way or a path forward for Chris Thompson to be relevant if they're not going to be spoon-feeding him uh, catches, or giving him any carries to work with. So I think Chris Thompson, his experiment might be over after one week. He is arguably droppable in all leagues. Finally, I won't even name them. Well, I will, but the Dolphins running backs are just so, so disappointing. Another year, another worthless backfield for fantasy. Jordan Howard had a touchdown, but he had eight rushes for seven yards, which is comical to be honest i mean saquon barkley tonight was terrible in his own right but eight for seven with a touchdown is not going to get it done matt Breida had five rushes for 22 yards of his own and out of nowhere the most valuable running back in fantasy for the dolphins in week one was miles gaskin a guy that nobody probably even heard of he got the value in the passing work uh he got catches out of the backfield didn't do too much with him but just because of PPR, he got more points than Breida especially, and depending on format, he probably had more than Howard as well. All right, let's move on to the wide receivers who are disappointing to me. 
I'm not mad at them. It's only week one. However, I am disappointed in Michael Thomas. Three receptions, 17 yards. Set the NFL record for receptions last year. On pace, if you if you want to make a, a funny stat. He's on pace for 48 catches on a 16-game pace with three receptions in week one, which would uh, far undercut his 149 catches in the last season. So your better days are ahead for Michael Thomas. However, I will say to monitor his injury situation, he picked up what they're calling a high ankle sprain, which is tough to play through, but he's convinced he can do it. Uh, don't panic. He'll bounce back. But I would take, keep an eye on his injury because you don't want to get stuck with a guy who ends up out because he's questionable all week. Monitor his status and make sure if he gets out, then you're going to take him out of your lineup, something you would otherwise never do which is take Michael Thomas out of your lineup. You might have to, obviously, if he doesn't play. Next guy I'm disappointed with, I I hold this personally because I was really high on DJ Moore going into the season. I still am. He only had four catches for 54 yards in week one. He got outperformed by Robbie Anderson, his new teammate. It was an exploitable matchup, the Las Vegas Raiders, and he failed to do much with it. Only those 54 yards. He did have nine targets, though. So better days are ahead for DJ Moore as well. I do think he ups his touchdowns this season after not too many touchdowns over the previous years. That's where I really have him breaking out this year is in the touchdown department. I did see a, a, a clip of the game yesterday. I had it on for a bit where he he had an end zone target, wasn't able to pull it down. That would have made his day a lot better, put him in the 15-point range. Instead, he ended up with about – 9.4 or 9 yeah 9.4 in PPR which is disappointing for a guy that you probably drafted to be a one next guy T.Y. Hilton his Colts debut with Philip Rivers only four catches 53 yards no touchdowns Philip Rivers as I mentioned earlier kept dumping it off to running backs in Naheem Hines and so it should have been a good matchup against an exploitable Jaguars team but the Colts instead went out and got upset by Gardner Minshew and the Jaguars after being huge favorites in that game. So we'll see what T.Y. Hillen can do. He is getting older. We'll see if he's still elite. He has been elite when he's healthy. Not in week one, though. Next guy, arguably the biggest disappointment, if it weren't for Michael Thomas, only having three and 17. Odell Beckham Jr., Ah, people keep trying to make Odell happen in Cleveland, and it just hasn't. He had three receptions for 22 yards, 10 targets, so he only caught 30% of his targets, which is laughable. I mean, when he was on the Giants, he was elite. He was making amazing acrobatic catches. He has not brought that level of production to Cleveland, and it's unfortunate if you have him in fantasy. Uh, you should probably be concerned. I'm concerned. I don't have him in any leagues because I avoided him in drafts. Uh, it was the Ravens who are a good team. But uh, you got to see what Odell's going to do next week. It's a short week. They're playing the Bengals. Maybe he makes me eat my words, but I'm not excited about his prospects. Last three I'll quickly touch on. Deshaun Jackson, two receptions, 46 yards. A lot of people were excited because he, he goes off in week ones. Last year was no exception. He had two touchdowns, two long touchdowns. Not this year. Seven targets, only brought down two, only played 37 snaps. Turns out they were limiting his snaps uh, to, to acclimate him to, the, to the, uh, the season. He couldn't connect on multiple deep targets. I was watching that game because I'm a fan, and it just he wasn't clicking with Wentz. If they had connected on a couple of those, he would have had a huge game, but but alas, he did not. He was an upside pick going into week one. I'm a little bit less bullish on him for week two as Alshon Jeffrey may return. Jalen Rager is going to get more acclimated to the offense. We'll see what Deshaun can do moving forward. Last two, Christian Kirk, disappointed in him. He might be the third option behind Fitzgerald. Uh, which is disappointing because he's a lot younger and should be better than Larry Fitzgerald at this juncture in his career. One catch, zero yards, five targets. He will have to prove it to me before he 
finds his way in a lineup uh, because right now you cannot afford to start him and have him get one point again. Finally, Brian Edwards, my hot rookie pick for this season, disappointed me. For the Raiders, he had one catch for nine yards. I wanted big things out of him. I wanted him to happen. He just didn't. He was a popular sleeper pick late in draft seasons because of his starting role on the Raiders. Tyrell Williams went on IR, which bumped Edwards to the starting lineup. However, instead you saw Nelson Aguilar, the Eagles reject, catch a touchdown on a beautiful pass from Derek Carr. Uh, the one silver lining for Brian Edwards is he played over 70% of the snaps, which is a good sign for moving forward him getting more production. But for now, he is deep on your bench or on waivers until further notice. We'll wrap up the segment. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed with the tight end position. We had a couple of duds at tight end this week. I'll start with George Kittle. He started out hot, four for 44 yards and nine rushing yards, and then he just disappointed the rest of the way, uh, doing nothing after that stats in the first half. He did leave with an injury at one point, but he returned. However, he wasn't a factor after he returned, so it makes me wonder if he was hurt and playing through it and was just a decoy because he's so good and needs attention or if he just wasn't able to get anything going with Garoppolo after he came back from that injury scare. Uh, other one I'll go over, tight end. I'm disappointed in Rob Gronkowski, not because I thought he would do anything, but I know plenty of people drafted him to be their starting tight end, and he had two, two receptions for 11 yards. He looks like the tight end, too, on his own team, which does not bode well for his fantasy prospects given that there's so much wide receiver talent already around him. If you've got O.J. Howard scoring touchdowns and getting more targets, you are not happy with Rob Gronkowski as your tight end one, especially if you picked him in the mid-rounds where I saw him going in a lot of drafts. Uh, Gronk is not somebody I thought would be relevant in fantasy this year, despite his history of excellence. And I wasn't surprised by his uh, mediocre week one start with Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, but other people may have been disappointed. Moving on, I just want to go over some waiver wire ads uh, before we hit waivers on Wednesday. Uh, these are guys that are owned in under 50% of leagues on ESPN. That's my that's what I gauge from. If you use Yahoo. Uh, it's probably similar, but might be a little bit more nuanced depending on what format you use. I'm going off of ESPNs, which is the most used platform in fantasy football. So starting out, QB, Gardner Minshew. If you're in my league, I already have him, so don't bother checking. But Gardner Minshew is still uh, criminally underowned. I do play in deeper bench leagues, so I understand a bit if he's on your waiver, if you've only got five bench spots. But he's proven his sleeper value already in week one. Tough matchup against Indianapolis. Scored in the top uh, 12 quarterbacks going into Monday. Next week could be a tough matchup against Tennessee. But they also said that Indy was going to be a tough matchup. So he might surprise people once again in week two. I think he'll rush for even more yards than week one and week two. So I think it was more of a floor this week for his rushing yardage. And even if he doesn't have as many touchdown passes next week, he'll more than make up for it with his rushing yards. And uh, I'm big on Gardner. I'll keep talking about him. But you should add him on the waivers if you got a spot open, depending on how your injury is gone. Like if you had Marlon Mack or Blake Jarwin on your bench, then you can drop them, add Gardner to be your backup. It's uh it's a great fun. It's great fun having Gardner on your team. He's a really likable guy. Add him in your league. The next guy I'll mention at quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. If you're desperate, I wouldn't go too crazy dropping a, a guy to get Mitch Trubisky. You could stream him in week two, I think. It's a favorable matchup against the Giants. He's worth starting if you have uh like questions about your quarterbacks. If you have Goff, maybe, if you had a disappointing week from Tyrod Taylor, if you picked him late. 
or Fitzpatrick, which is doubtful that you started him because he's unowned in most leagues. But Trubisky should be worthwhile in fantasy again next week. Uh, but I wouldn't go go nuts and bench a star quarterback for Trubisky. At running back, the big ads this week are Naheem Hines. For the Colts, that Marlon Mack injury catapults him into even more defined role at that pass catching back. Third down, he's going to see a lot of targets. Even before that, he's going to jump in for Jonathan Taylor, spell him, get touches. He should consistently have a receiving floor. I mentioned it early earlier. Uh, he could be like a James White guy who might not have the highest of ceilings week to week, but he's going to provide a floor of points, uh, which means he'll have 8 to 10 any given week, which is good if you're trying to plug your RB2 spot with, with the guys that just need some safe points. Next, Malcolm Brown looks like the lead back for the Los Angeles Rams. He's in a committee with Cam Akers, but he established himself yesterday as the guy who's the best one on primetime. So for those who are watching in primetime, they saw it firsthand. He's going to be a popular ad this week because it was a nationally televised game and because he played well. Uh, the rookie Akers might take over at some point, but in the meantime, you've got Brown as the best option in the Rams' backfield to own. Next, I've got James Robinson on my uh, waiver wire ads. He's a Jacksonville Jaguar. If you play with me, I either have him or told somebody to take him, so he might not be owned uh, in your league, but he is in a lot of mine. He had 100% of his team's carries this week. He's the only guy in the whole league who had 100% of his team's carries in week one. The team trusts him, even though he was an undrafted free agent. They felt compelled to drop uh, Leonard Fournette before the season because they trusted James Robinson. His ceiling is limited, I think, due to the, the expected game scripts that he's going to be in, which means the Jaguars are going to be losing a lot of games. Therefore, they're not going to run it a lot because they'll have to pass to catch up. Joshua Kelly is my next waiver wire ad. He looks to have secured that Melvin Gordon role in Los Angeles uh, for the Chargers. I think he'll out-touch Eckler at the goal line because he's a, he's a better goal line back, and he proved that with his touchdown in week one. He played well in his first NFL game, uh, especially once Justin Jackson left with, it, with an injury. I think just by playing well with Jackson Hurt, He's, he's now jumped ahead of Jackson in any kind of Melvin Gordon-esque role that uh, Gordon had before he left for Denver. The last guy I'll mention, who I don't think is worth adding, but he did have a good game, is Peyton Barber for the Washington football team. He fell into the end zone twice, but he also averaged 1.7 yards per carry, which is absolutely horrendous when you consider four is the benchmark for a decent running back. Uh 1.7 yards per carry is not going to get it done, even if you have two touchdowns. Uh, he was 17 rushes for 29 yards, and I think with that kind of performance, it's just evidence that Antonio Gibson should be getting more work in the backfield, and potentially even Bryce Love, who was a healthy scratch in week one, but might be activated to see what he's got in week two. At the wide receiver position, some guys that I would consider adding. I'll go real quick because we're running a bit long. Sammy Watkins, he's the second wide receiver in the best offense. His role is secure. He's well under-owned compared to McCole Hardman, who is barely on the field in week one. So if you want a Chiefs backup receiver outside of Tyreek Hill, you're going to want Sammy Watkins, not McCole Hardman. Anthony Miller played well for the Bears in week one. Mitch Trubisky hit him for a touchdown late. He had four receptions for 76 yards and that touchdown. I think he'll see enough volume throughout the season to be a solid backup, especially for bye weeks. We're not there yet, but somebody to have on your bench for when you need a guy to have some secure points when your guys are on bye. Next guy, Alan Lazard. I think he's the second re receiver in Green Bay. He uh, played as a second receiver, but he was outscored by Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Um, in week one, but I think moving forward, he's still the guy to own as the number two in Green Bay behind Devontae Adams. Jalen Rager, briefly, he is a deep threat. Wentz wanted to target him. He did. He only caught one for 55, 
but he was he was targeted on multiple incompletions on deep passes. So a guy who might go off uh, a, any any given week, kind of like a Deshaun Jackson. So don't be surprised if he has some huge games here and there, but may not be consistent. Russell Gage for the Atlanta Falcons, he had over 100 yards along with Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. The question is, is he the third option for passing instead of Hayden Hurst? A lot of people thought it was Hurst going in. Week one proved that it was Russell Gage. He's taking the position of Mohamed Sanu, who was traded last season to the Patriots. Uh, and Sanu was occasionally relevant as the third wide receiver in that offense. So why not Gage? I'm a bit worried on him finally finding weekly volume. Matt Ryan threw a ton coming from behind. And I don't expect Gage to put up the numbers that he did this week, week to week. Finally, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, like I mentioned, I would prefer Lazard at this point, but I understand if you want to take the risk on MVS. And LaVisca Chenault for the Jaguars, potentially the best rookie performance of the day for wide receivers, I think. His, he had plays designed for him, as in he had rushing attempts out of the backfield. Uh, I guess James Robinson didn't have 100% of the rushing uh, but he did of the running backs because Chenault is a wide receiver. And uh, he had a touchdown, first one of his, his career. And I think LaVisca Chenault is a sneaky guy to have stashed on your bench, maybe in place of Brian Edwards, because I think Gardner has already started some, some chemistry with him, and he could be this year's rookie to own. Uh, Dallas Goddard at tight end is the only guy I would consider adding on waivers this week. He, if he's available, he is available in a lot of leagues. I know a lot of leagues I'm in, he is owned also. Uh, his his role is viable every week, I think, despite Zach Ertz being there. He's more of a, a 1B to Zach Ertz in the tight end department, and especially as the backup to Ertz. If Ertz got hurt, Goddard would skyrocket to a top five tight end every week. Uh, so that's a guy you might want to consider adding if you're not sure. Maybe you have Hurst as your tight end, or you've got a guy like Jarwin who you picked late as your tight end. Goddard is a guy to consider adding and starting, even though he's technically the tight end too on that team. So that's going to do it for today's episode. Uh, we went over those breakout performances, those not-so-good performances we were disappointed in. We went over waiver pickups. Uh, and I'm glad you're tuning in. Please rate and review me on Apple Podcasts and follow me on Twitter at NARPDAD, which is N-A-R-P, Dad. And thanks for tuning in. And until next time on the NARP Fantasy Football, have a great week.